Now, have you found that coronavirus has been dragging on a long time? Yes, yes, it has, hasn't it, Dan? When when schools shut down and some people said this might go on until the summer holidays, I thought, never, surely not. And here we still are. And when they said that these new restrictions might last for six months, did your heart sink? Oh, boy, my heart sank at the thought of that. Is that Christmas cancelled? It's hard to keep going, isn't it, when things keep going on? It's hard to keep going. That's true in all sorts of areas of life. And it's true in the Christian life. And so we're in a little series of helps to keep going. And this morning, we're going to get, I hope, some help from Revelation to keep going. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 13? We'll read a verse from it in a minute. Not yet. Revelation chapter 13 is where we'll start. Although I must admit, we're going to be jumping all over this book this morning. Now, one of our children asked for us to read Revelation in family worship, which was an interesting choice. And so there have been many times in family worship recently that I've been having to say, I just don't understand this bit. I'm not sure what this bit means. And yet it's been so good. It's full of these dramatic, vivid pictures. It's good for teaching our children that actually in life you have to expect a lot of trouble. But it's also got such... well. Surely you can't help but get a sense of the glory of God from this book. Uh, By the way, parents, I hope you have family worship with your children, a time of reading the Bible and praying together each day. Uh, Even if it's just 10 minutes daily, it sets such a great message for your children that we need God. He is worthy of having time and attention. And we as a family are centered around him. It doesn't have to be fancy, but just a few minutes each day of reading the Bible and praying and maybe seeing something. sets a great message. We've been in Revelation in our family worship. And how is that relevant to this theme of keeping going in the Christian life? Well, it was written to Christians under pressure. Some were persecuted. Some were poor. The might of the Roman Empire was about to come down on them very hard. And it was written to help them keep going. Near the start, there are letters to seven churches. And in the letters, repeatedly they're told, hold on, keep on, keep faithful. I'm with you through the troubles. And that aim to help the Christians keep going is put very clearly and simply in chapter 13, verse 10. We're going to make this like our theme verse this morning. Chapter 13, verse 10. We have this simple and clear sentence. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. This morning, I hope we're going to hear that call for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now, first of all, I need to tell you the approach that I take to Revelation because it's a controversial book and there are many different approaches taken. Here's the approach I take. Uh, Well, first of all, let's start with something different. There are books around written about around the year 1800, that will tell you, oh, this chapter and this verse in Revelation is a prediction of Napoleon Bonaparte. And there are books from around the 1960s and 1970s that will tell you this chapter and this verse in Revelation, they're a prediction of the European Union. 
Now, Revelation is not like that. It's not a book of specific predictions of specific people and events in history. You can tell that because it was supposed to help the people back then in the Roman Empire days. And it wouldn't help them to know about Napoleon Bonaparte. And it's supposed to help people now. And it's supposed to help people when Jesus comes back. And so it tells us general themes and characteristics of the age from when Jesus went back to heaven until when he comes back to earth. It's not all about the Roman Empire or all about the end of the world, although it has a lot about both. It's about all of history from when Jesus returned to heaven until when he comes back to earth. And that will that approach to Revelation will be shaping how I preach it this morning. If you don't agree with that approach, and I would be surprised if everyone here agrees with it. I hope you will see the lessons we're getting are still valid. And because because of that approach that I take and because we're going to look at various different parts, I won't always be able to go into detail and prove this is right about this chapter. So I hope you'll instead get the big picture and maybe be encouraged to go away and read the book for yourself. So. Verse th- chapter 13, verse 10, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Let's first of all see why patient endurance is needed. Why do we need it? Well, because Revelation shows that life here and now is hard. Let's see that in three places. The first is chapter 17, verse 14. Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Now, this verse sums up a lot of revelation. Which is there's a war on Uh, across a lot of revelation. The big theme is there's a war on. Verse 14, they will make war against the lamb. Who are the they who will make war against the lamb? Well, Revelation tells us about evil spiritual powers, chiefly Satan. But here in chapter 17, it also tells us about a woman and a beast. In fact, the woman is riding the beast. The woman looks impressive in her purple and scarlet robe and draped in jewellery. And she represents the world in its impressiveness, in its culture and commerce, its riches and its arts. And she rides on this fantastic beast with seven heads and ten horns covered in names of blasphemy, this horrible beast. She looks impressive. The beast looks horrible. And the beast represents world powers, especially world powers oppressing God's people. Now, back when this was written, it would be easy to see how the Roman Empire back then was like this. If you went to Rome back then, what would you see? Well, you'd see the Colosseum and amazing architecture and rich Romans coming out of the Roman baths where the floors would be lined with amazing mosaics. It was an impressive and luxurious place. But dig beneath the surface and you would find slavery 
and oppression. And what would you see at that Colosseum? Oh, rich people thinking it's wonderful as they're entertained, but they were entertained by Christians thrown to the lions or tied to stakes and set alight as torches. It's the woman in her impressiveness, but she's on the beast in its cruelty. In a much, much milder form, what do you see when you go to London? Oh, impressive historic buildings. And there is culture and there's the arts. And, oh, there's people who are free, it seems, to live any way that that takes their fancy. And you can see the shard and all those buildings that represent the might of amazingly rich finance. It's really impressive, London. But dig beneath the surface and you find, oh, so much immorality. And if you're an unborn baby that inconveniences that immorality, well, you can be killed. And if you're a Christian who speaks out against that immorality, you can be cancelled. You might even get pushed out of your job. There's a war on. And the result is trouble. Let's turn for our second place to chapter 7 that was read to us. Revelation 7. The result is trouble. Chapter 7 describes God's people around his throne. They're worshipping. They're celebrating. But what had they experienced before that? Chapter 7, verse 14. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Now, children, there's a big word for you. Tribulation. Great tribulation. It's really a fancy way of saying big trouble. Big trouble. And the big troubles are described in the previous chapter, chapter six. It describes persecution and poverty, economic oppression and war, famine and plagues or what we call pandemics. And the Christians aren't lifted out of it. They come through it. Now, even if you don't agree with the details of my understanding of Revelation, I hope if you know the book at all, you will you surely must agree that Revelation shows the Christian life isn't going to heaven on a bed of roses. It shows severe troubles for God's people. And in this war and in these troubles, it sometimes seems like the devil wins. Our third place is chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a very strange chapter. Chapter 11 describes two witnesses who prophesy. And these witnesses who prophesy represent the church doing its work of spreading the gospel. And chapter 11 describes the power of the church as, along with God's spirit, the gospel is told. And the success of the church as the gospel is spread. But... Despite that power and that success, we then get verse seven, chapter 11, verse seven. Now, when they, the two witnesses, the church, have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending 
each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Sometimes the devil seems to win. That's what we have described here. Now, if you read on, you'll find in verse 11, the devil hasn't won. The church is not dead. But it, in verses 7 to 10, the church looks dead and the devil looks victorious. Sometimes the devil seems to win in this battle. A little example of this. Well, it's not that little, actually. One of the greatest thinkers in the history of the church was a man called Augustine. And if you think, if children, you think Augustine is a funny name, wait till you hear where he came from. He came from a place called Hippo, (laughs) a town called Hippo. Any idea where Hippo was? Well, it's in the continent where you get hippos. Where would that be? Africa. He lived in North Africa because back in his time, North Africa was a stronghold of Christianity, probably the place where Christianity was strongest. Is Christianity strong in North Africa now? Oh, no. Christianity is very small in North Africa now. Why? Because Islam came in and wiped out the church and it has stayed wiped out. For hundreds of years, sometimes the devil seems to win and the church looks dead. I actually think that Revelation 11 is telling us towards the end of the world, there will be a time of extreme. uh, Well, a time where to the extreme, it looks like the church is dead and buried and Satan has won. Spiritual war, troubles, it looking like the devil has won. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So secondly, we need to ask, what is patient endurance like? What is patient endurance like? Uh, Back to our verse, chapter 13, verse 10 says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. By the way, saints means Christians. It doesn't mean people in stained glass windows with a funny, shiny plate on their heads. It it means all Christians. And there's a parallel verse that explains this further. And helpfully, it's in the next chapter, 14, verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, that explains it. Patient endurance means keeping on obeying God and sticking with trusting Jesus. Did you get that? That's very short and simple. I don't need to preach a long sermon on that. It means keeping on obeying Jesus and on obeying God and sticking with trusting Jesus. That is very simple. But I have to admit it's not easy. Do you know things can be simple but not easy? Oh, Samuel Mitchell, you're sitting next to that piano. Do you reckon that you could pick it up and carry it across the room? It's really simple. I tried it last week. If you feel that halfway down that piano, there's a little ridge you can put your hand under. And there's a little ridge the other side. And all you need to do is pick it up and carry it to the other side of the room. I don't need to explain to you for an hour how to do that. It's very simple. But I can tell you it's very hard. I didn't try it for long, by the way, because I thought I might break the piano. It's simple but hard. So much of the Christian life boils down to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's simple. 
There are things in the Bible that are complicated, but so much of the Christian life is actually that simple. Trust and obey. But it's not easy when the world tempts and when things like coronavirus drag on and when sin looks appealing and when life looks like a crazy chaos. Trust and obey. That's what faithful endurance looks like. But because it's hard, we thirdly have to ask how we helped to patiently obey. Revelation was written to help Christians under pressure. How does it help us to patiently endure? Well, one way is by giving us realistic expectations. By telling us to expect persecutions and pandemics. To expect that Christians often are poor and the gospel doesn't mean you all have health and wealth. That helps us to endure when we're persecuted or when obeying God hits our finances. It helps us not to think that can't be right. By setting our expectations, that helps us to keep going. Children, do you like reading? Hope you like reading. Yeah, one of the greatest books ever written was Pilgrim's Progress. And it tells the story of the Christian life like a journey. And rather like Revelation, it's full of pictures. There are dragons, there are lions, there are colourful characters. And one of those characters is a man called Pliable. And he hears about the Christian journey and he thinks, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. And he sets off on this journey that represents the Christian life. But very quickly, he falls into something called the Slough of Despond, this marshy area where the oozy mud sucks him down. And when he's eventually struggled out on the wrong side of the mud, he says, well, I'm not having any more of this. I thought the Christian life was supposed to be great and simple and easy. I'm going back home. Because his expectations were all wrong. If you expect you've planned what your lifestyle will be, you know how you'll make it comfortable and you'll fulfill your expectations and ambitions and you'll have a bit of Christianity on the side. But it won't interfere with what you want. You'll be disappointed. And I'm afraid to say you'll probably give up fairly quickly. Getting our expectations right is so helpful to patiently enduring. But Revelation doesn't just do that. It shows us the troubles, but it also shows us God in control. God in control. Before you get to any of the troubles in Revelation, you have to get through chapter four. And what does chapter four show us? It shows us a throne room in heaven and it shows us God on the throne, supreme, majestic and utterly in control. And then I've said that you then get to chapter six, where you get these troubles, big troubles like persecution and pandemics and poverty and oppression. But how are those troubles represented in chapter six? Do you know? They're represented as having been written on a giant scroll. There's this massive scroll of paper and written all over it are those troubles. But the scroll is sealed shut with seven big wax seals. And as each seal is broken open and a bit more of the scroll is read, the troubles happen. And that's Revelation's picture way of describing the troubles. But who is opening those seals that let out the troubles? Who's opening the seals that mean you can read a bit more of what it will be like? 
Oh, it's the Lamb. That is the Lord Jesus himself. And who wrote those troubles on the scroll? That was God himself. In other words, these troubles are all in his plan. And they're all under the control of the Lord Jesus. And so, yes, Revelation says there is a war on, but the war is nothing like the Lord of the Rings. There's another great book. Do you know the Lord of the Rings? There's this, this, this war on. A battle of good versus evil. And there are these funny little creatures, the hobbits, and they're mainly good. And then there are these big, nasty ring wraiths. They're bad. And there's the evil Lord Sauron. And they're battling it out. But no one's in overall control. And you don't really know who will win unless you guess that books normally have a nice ending. You don't really know. We're in a war, but it's not like the Lord of the Rings because God is in control. And that means his people are secure. Revelation has these different pictures for repeatedly showing us God's people are secure. So, for example, back to Revelation 7 that was read to us. There you have 144,000 people and they each have a mark on their forehead. Children, would you like to go around with a big mark on your forehead? Everyone can see. Well, what it means is God can see those are his people. He knows full well who belong to him. And there are 144,000 because that's 12 times 12 times a thousand, which means a massive number, but a complete number. God will not lose a single one of his elect chosen people. He knows them all and he'll keep them all. And yes, we read earlier in verse 14 that they've been through great tribulation. Do you remember that means big trouble? But now they are safely celebrating. Never again will they hunger. That means they had hungered, but no more. Never again will they thirst. That means they had thirsted because many have been dirt poor. But no more. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. How funny, a lamb who's a shepherd, but he's the best shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God's people, whatever the troubles and however much it looks like Satan's winning, are secure. Because the big message of Revelation is Jesus wins. Let's go back lastly to chapter 17, verse 14, because this verse summarizes so much in Revelation 17, verse 14. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Uh, This is So much of Revelation is in this verse. There's a war on, but the lamb wins. And with him as he wins are his people who are called by him, chosen by him and faithful to him. There's a war on, but Jesus wins. There's a preacher in England called Paul Mallard. He's preached here actually a few years ago. And at the church he used to be at, there was a lady who uh, was not very clever. I suppose we would say she had significant learning difficulties, but she was always wanting to read the Bible. And Paul Mallard went to visit her one day and he said, well, I can't remember her name. What have you been reading recently? She said, oh, I've been reading the Revolutions of St. John. Oh, right. That's interesting. She meant Revelation, by the way. 
That's interesting. What did you make of that? He said, thinking, what went on here with her reading Revelation? She said, oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's all about Jesus and he wins. Well, talk about out of the mouths of babies and nursing infants, you've perfected praise because she's got it spot on. It's all about Jesus and he wins. That's revelation. If I've thrown a lot at you this morning, if there's only one thing you remember, make sure it's this. It's all about Jesus and he wins. Revelation tells us Jesus wins. And that does mean punishment for all those who don't bow to him because he wins. There's no getting round that Revelation and the Bible elsewhere tell us the victory of Jesus means terrible, eternal punishment for those who won't bow to him as king. So if that's you, you need to get on and bow to him. If that's you, you need to go like an outlaw to a king and admit, I've been like an outlaw. I've lived as if you're not king. I've lived as if I'm in charge. I need your mercy. You need to go and beg him for forgiveness. But you can do that knowing he's a king who loves to forgive and who is ready with his mercy. God's given us this warning. Jesus wins and that means destruction for his enemies. He's given us that warning so you can escape that and fly to Jesus as the refuge. Jesus wins. And so revelation ends with he will reign forever and ever. And then it tells us his called, chosen and faithful followers will reign with him forever and ever. The whole of Revelation, in fact, turns out to be, I reckon, uh, an explanation of a verse in Romans 8. I reckon that Revelation is an expansion of and a description of a verse in Romans 8. It's Romans 8 verse 37 that says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that is reason for and that calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints.